Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie, and I'm so excited that you have joined us on the show this week. Help me welcome Dr. Tracy Marquis-Eidman. Dr. Marquis is a family physician currently practicing in the urgent care setting, as well as a faculty member at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. She serves as the director of the Medical Student Home Program, director of the Longitudinal Integrated Clerkship, and director of fourth-year electives in rural emergency medicine, rural primary care, and healthcare for individuals with developmental disabilities. She attended medical school at Dartmouth Medical School and completed her training in family medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. She then went on to practice as a full-time family practice physician in ambulatory care. She is accomplished in leadership and promotion of patient-centered communication with a passion for improving patient experience. Her current roles at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine develop her interest in compassionate and patient-centered education. Dr. Marquis, Thank you for joining us on Essential Wisdom. Welcome to the show. I like to start off every episode by having you tell us a bit about your path to becoming a female physician. I had um, a picture in my mind when I graduated, actually a picture in my mind from sixth grade on, okay. of me <clears throat> being, a, um, being a town physician. Okay. And uh, because when I grew up, that's what we had. We had it um, at any one time, maybe two they used to call them GPs back then, mm-hmm. and uh, two general surgeons in town. And between the four of them, they, and there were people that had been there for years. And so between the four of them, they took care of almost every need. Uh, we had per diem emergency room physicians that would come up to the emergency room to man woman that. Um, but, but so that, but that image of the town physician was what I grew up with. So I imagine when I graduated from residency, I was gonna go back to Maine and um, maybe even my hometown and be a town doc. And then when I met my husband, he's a city guy and he had zero desire to be any, <laughs> anywhere east of um, St. Louis, but I convinced him to get as far as Connecticut. So this is where we landed. So, and it all worked out amazingly well, very happy here. Um, but I just, Full-time ambulatory care practice was just what I imagined myself doing, and definitely, I'm grateful that I, for obstacles, it's well, speed bumps that looked like obstacles at the time just steered me in a different direction, mm. and encouraged me to open my mind to other opportunities. And I'm so, in hindsight, I'm grateful for those. Yeah. At the time, they felt like frustrations, and they, because they were, but. I think having that open mind to maybe there's something else mm. better for, suited for me at this time. And then we moved to the Norwich area where I 
did um, my, my job was inpatient, outpatient, and urgent care in one practice. So it allowed me to still keep that full scope piece. And then when I had my daughter um, with a two-year-old also on, two-year-old on one hip and a, new, a newborn on the other hip, um, you know, I did have to make some adjustments in my, in my schedule, so inpatient fell off mm -hmm. the, um, the plate and went to just ambulatory, and I joined a practice in, middle, in Madison and was there for 13 years doing just ambulatory care mm -hmm. and, some, and some leadership stuff. Leadership became, early on, leadership became a big part of my life, a big mm -hmm. part of my um, professional life. And, uh, and then I went from there in 2013 to Northeast Medical Group as an urgent care physician um, and then became quickly their medical director for patient experience and then their chief experience officer and was training physicians how to be good communicators and be patient-centric. Did you ever consider or do like part-time work during that trajectory or were you always working full-time? So Yeah, so um, what's interesting I've noticed is that people's lifestyle rises to their mm -hmm. income. So when I was in residency, I lived happily on my residency salary. Mm -hmm. Of course I was single and didn't have a whole lot of mouths to feed, it was just me and the cats. So it was an easy, you know, so, but it was a very self-contained and in hindsight a very meager income. And then, so when I first got paid, paid as a physician, you think, oh, I'll never spend all this. <laughs> this yeah. is crazy, I should save all of this. And then you buy a house, and then you have kids, and then you have a car, and then you just sort of live to that. So why I'm telling you that is because when I had my second child, I briefly contemplated part-time but a couple things made it a little bit difficult was one, we had acquired a lifestyle that part-time may have made that challenging. Mm. Two, as a primary care physician going part-time, I had witnessed friends and colleagues try to do that and it they, they basically did a full-time job in a part-time schedule so um, they still had to produce a certain amount of income um, or, or they would have a dramatic reduction in income. So yeah. if they didn't produce the volume, it was a pretty big hit on their income and so that would have affected um, mm -hmm. our budget. So there was the concern about income and salary and then also watching my colleagues basically just get paid for part-time, paid part-time but doing full-time mm -hmm. work. You know, there are situations I've seen or I think it, and I think it works well where two people do part time together and they job share, mm -hmm. and that job sharing I think that's the one time I've seen that work mm -hmm. at, at least in primary care I've seen that work really well. Um, when one person's there, the other person's not, and vice versa, and there's complete coverage of each other's um, in baskets mm -hmm. and sick patients and questions. Um, so when you're when you really when you're when you're off, you are truly not expected to check your email or check your um, in basket for questions mm -hmm. or labs because that other person is taking care of you. And so it's a true part time. And I think if there were more of that, I could see more people doing yeah. that. That's um, interesting. Yeah, but that I think those are my two main main concerns. And it's funny because. You know, of course, whenever someone asks, I'd like to go part-time, there's a tremendous pushback from 
administration at, you know, amongst medical yeah. groups and hospitals because the overhead for them is the same mm -hmm. and, they, and they know it. Um, so there's a lot of frowning when people yeah. even bring up the P word. Yeah. That's why I ask, and it also is different between sure. every single specialty, I think, sure. too, and so it's just an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, you're seeing, you are seeing more and more, and I think what's also helping that become less of an issue or worry is the rising use of um, interprofessional teams. You know, there's more of a team-based approach to care, and I think yeah. that's probably going to be really helpful. Yeah. I think... Uh, if if done well and maybe in, in consideration with a job share plan that maybe we'll see less of or see more part-time folks without it being a big to do yeah is there any challenge that you face specifically being a female in the career that you've had uh, lack of transparency okay. um, and equity of compensation and compensation is not just dollars I mean it could be you know, being willing to accommodate a flexible schedule. I mean, that to me would be worth a lot of money. But I think transparency and, and, and equity and income is a challenge for women um, and asking for it without looking. So, of course, as you know, when men ask for things, they're being assertive. When we ask for things, we're being aggressive um, or needy or demanding or whatever the term may be. And that may be, and that's different cultures different or different cultures meaning di different work environments in different places you know there's to different degrees I think in a, in a in a hospital environment where more and more women leaders are rising and still not enough but more and more and then there's more women physician presence I think maybe it's less onerous than other cultures but it's still a big issue you're basically doing two full-time jobs and when your home works always kind of in the background pulling in then when you're at work there's a nagging home thing maybe pulling at you too. So what I've been trying to do is more of the mindfulness thing. Okay. Um, and that's been helpful for me. I used to multitask like you would not believe. I mean, I would have four or five things happening at the same time. I'd be on a conference call, um, put it on mute, answer an email, answer a question to a kid because I'd be working from home unmute it, answer their question, mute it again, and then throw a load of wash in the laundry. And then so um, answer another question from my assistant on email and then get back to this. So painful. And honestly, sometimes I would answer that person's question in the conference call. They're like, oh, clearly you weren't paying attention. Or they'd ask me a question. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd be like, wait, what, what was that? You know? <clears throat> or I'd put, you know, darks on hot. Or I would, you know, give my kid... <laughs> peanut butter on it rather than peanut butter on toast I give them peanut butter on like a banana or something like the wrong thing so <laughs> so I've learned that um it and it would make my head hurt so I would just I have learned to dial it down to what I'm doing in the moment something else that yeah. I've learned to do is to schedule things and I used yeah. to laugh when people would say schedule your exercise Seriously, if you have to schedule a shower or schedule your exercise, you have major problems. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Do yeah. it. You have to be okay with saying it's okay. Like if my if my hair is not done like now today, who cares? Yeah. You know. And so I just don't care. And then, um, but I do mm -hmm. schedule me time. So yeah. on Friday mornings. Um, except for this morning, which is ironic, 
um, I schedule a hike in the woods with my dog from 7.15 until 9.30. That's our Friday morning. And then I have a hike Saturday morning and I have a hike Sunday morning. And nice. So Monday through Thursday is a little sad. But like for this week, I knew I had to give a lecture Friday morning. So I blocked out Thursday morning for Bella and I to go for our hike in the woods. So nice. that, yeah. So sometimes there's some... There's some shifts at that time. But I know three mornings a week, I'm doing my Shinrin Yoku in the woods, and I'm chilling out, listening to nature. I don't, and I used to check my email when I was walking in the woods. I found myself saying, what's the point of me being, why am I here right now? I'm here to relax. I'm here to be in the moment with my dog and just quiet my brain. How can I quiet my brain when I'm trying not to trip as I'm checking my email? So I schedule that time, and then, you know, Sundays are sacred for us as far as just family time. Um, that's sacred. And then my husband and I schedule Friday night date nights. Okay. Yeah. So, because we found ourselves saying, wait, I, I don't think I've talked to you <laughs> in a couple of weeks. I mean, like, wow. talk, talk, you know? Um, and it gets harder with kids, and that's that's the reality. And it's not a, not a bad thing and not a complaint, but I, we felt like we needed to to book, and we take turns who gets to choose the restaurant, but we book that time, and then we know, okay, make a mental note to talk to him about, about this. When we, mm. Yeah, so it's like those kinds of things. And then I try to make the evening from 9 to 10 o'clock is when I read my book. My, it has nothing to do with medicine. It's not a journal. It's not. It's purely mind brain fluff. Is there something about being a female practitioner that you really enjoy, separate from all of the craziness? People tell that? you stuff. Okay. I love that. I think there's a level of trust. Um, people see a woman's face, whether it's a male patient, female patient, transitioning patient, mm-hmm. anything in between. They see your face and they. They assume, and I think most times rightly so, um, that you will listen to them and you will not judge them and you will hear them and you will feel for them. Mm-hmm. And you will, you may not have an answer or a solution, um, but, but they know that you're a safe, a safe person to talk to and that you'll really be in the moment with them. Mm-hmm. People, oh my gosh, my patients tell me things. Unbelievable. I mean, what they share. I, and it's... And it comes from a place of trust. It, that's a unique um, opportunity for women. There's that. I think we as women tend to be um, very thoughtful in our approach to things. So we don't like to leave T's uncrossed and I's not dotted, mm-hmm. which um, you put that together with the really good listening skills. I think, you know. Uh, women are uniquely and extremely qualified to do this job because we're not going to miss much and we're not going to forget to do much. Um, So for safety quality reasons as well as, you know, patients. But but it's a win for us too because to to be the recipient of that trust and that level of appreciation, people... Actually, I, I did a house call on an old patient of mine this week. So her, I no, I haven't had these patients um, under my direct care since 2013. And this, and they, they still see me in stop and shop. 
and ask when I'm going back to practice. But um, but this one patient's husband called me um, a couple weeks ago to say that my old patient was uh, failing or failure to thrive. So she's late 80s, down to 74 pounds. I mean, she's mm. teeny tiny. Um, but still a spitfire, but just not listening to what she's being told to do, which is to walk and to move and to eat. So so he said, you know, it would be amazing if you came to visit with her. Okay. So I did. Nice. And it was, really, it was really nice. So we chatted for about a half an hour, and I gave her the, gave her a hug, and I gave her the what for, and I said, listen, do you, I mean, it's, you're an, you're, this is your body, this mm-hmm. is your life, and this is all about what you feel is your quality of life. I said, but if you fell and broke a hip, you'd end up in a nursing home probably because I don't think your husband could take care of you. What would you like to do? And she said, oh, I, that's not an option. I said, well, if that's not really an option, then, you know, there's just little things you could do like protein and um, get off the couch and walk. And so I use your walker, which she was over there in the corner somewhere. So, yeah. Um, when you phrase it like, what do you want? You know, what what would be your vision of quality of life right now? And what would be your worst case scenario? Then a light bulb seemed to go off and she said, oh, well, in that case, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. So, so her husband was like, you know, tears in the eyes. I'm Aww. so grateful. I said, well, listen, I'm not saying she'll do it tomorrow. She may wake up tomorrow and say, eh, no. <laughs> but, you know, they have my cell phone number and I said, call but I know her family, so her nephew was my patient, her grandnephew was my patient, her other nephew, his wife was my, so like there was this family connection that was pretty special. And awesome. So we'll tell so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> I said, hello, and I hope they're doing well. That's um, so it was, yeah, it was nice, but it's those kinds of connections, I think, that maybe we have an easier time to make. Mm. So on the flip side of that, mm. I guess those connections can be both invigorating and sometimes draining. draining. Uh-huh. So do you have a thing that you do to leave some of it at the door, or what do you do? How do you manage that? I'm not, I'm not very good at it, yeah. um, which is probably partly why I have to a take a little question. mental break. No, <laughs> yeah. it's true. I, um, I would probably still be in practice today. So, the, so yeah, so take me a step back to 2013 for a minute. So... Only doc in a practice with two um, mid-level providers, we used to call them, APCs now. And the only doc. And so in a, in a, in a town that, uh, lovely town, beautiful people, but a little bit of entitlement sense to them okay. in general. So when they would call, they would only wish to speak with me. And so what I had done is I had set myself up when I first started practice because I was just starting. When I first started, I had a half full schedule, and I would call every patient with every test result, good or bad. Um, I would sometimes call for, if I saw someone that was pretty sick, I would call them a couple of days later to see how they were doing. So nowadays, these are all things that a nurse or an MA would even do for right. you. Yeah. And as my practice moved along and got busy, 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 busier, I did not pull back on that piece of me because it became my signature. People were like, wow, you need to go see this physician because she calls you back. She never has the nurse call you back. Mm. Um, it's, 
you know, she calls you with your with your test results, and she calls to check on you. So that became my calling card or my signature, and so I had a hard time to. Plus, I liked doing it. It was nice to give yeah. someone good news. Yeah, and it was. I felt the time saver to be the one to give the not good news because, or the off test results because. I could explain it much more efficiently myself than to go back and forth in a phone yeah. exchange with yeah. my nurse. But patients, because of the connections that we're building over time, it, a two-minute phone call could be a 10-minute phone mm -hmm. call. It could be a 20-minute phone call. You do that for 50 lab results, then yeah. you go home and do your documentation, now it's midnight. Mm -hmm. So in hindsight, I probably would have set myself up to um, and I still would do this, is give the abnormal test result phone calls myself. Mm -hmm. Or um, have the nurse say, please come in so we can talk about your test results in person. Yeah. And maybe have them give out the normals. This was before the my chart and the, and the ability to have that, access yeah. to your record. Yeah. So, and but many patients find that onerous and they just want a person. Like they yeah. don't want a computer, they want a person. So I would have my nurse probably call with normals and then me either call the abnormals or just um, have them come in to talk about them. So I think, and then my patients would, were very reluctant to see one of my APCs for sick visits, so I'd end up double booking myself. And then, so I think, Eventually I had, and I could never say no to a new patient because I figure if someone's coming to see you, there's a reason why they chose you. Yeah. So then I have all these new patients. I had 4,000 patient panel. The average patient panel is about 2,500 with no other physician to cover with me. To cover, and it was primary care. It wasn't like an ENT where I'll see you in two years if your ear hurts. Oh my God, you know 4,000. Yeah. So that's when I said, and plus I was doing charting and I was on electronic record eventually and it was midnight, going to bed, and then getting up and doing charts on a Saturday morning for four hours. And so I think if I'd had another physician in the group, if I could, could have convinced my leadership to plant another physician in that group or convince them that a patient every 15 minutes was just not a few, and it, went, it didn't fit my style. Um, I had a big geriatric practice, which also was interesting and a big on the flip side I was seeing a lot of little babies and then I had um, some home hospice patients and then I was sort of the go-to person for Vista and the adults with disabilities the okay. group home patients because no one else would take them mm -hmm. and I took Medicaid wow. so it yeah yeah so then I so it, it got to a point where I said you know Again, if I'd had that other person to offload for people that had to see a physician, I could have updated my patients with my new policy for normal lab results. Like, you know, but without that other physician, and so I just said, look, if you, if you can't get that for me, I'm losing my joy in medicine, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm dreading going into work. Yeah. Mm -mm time for a change. So I intended to go to this other group to do urgent care for two years to live out my non-compete clause and go back to primary care in a different environment with a, and reset my patient's expectations and then reset expectations on patient volume with my new group. Yeah. I was going to be a half an hour per person physician.
period. I don't care if they're a sore throat, it's never just a sore throat, or a hospital follow-up or whatever, everybody has a half an hour. Um, and then I actually liked urgent care and then I got more into leadership and the leadership piece, I knew I couldn't do primary care justice and mm -hmm. be doing 30 hours a week in leadership, so. But it's all good. Wow. It's all good. But I think no, before I hated medicine, I think that's the thing is that people wait too long. Yeah. They wait until um, they're sick, literally sick, uh, from doing something they don't like anymore. Um, wow. Or they get depressed, or they go to substances, or, um, or they're just really bad at what they do because they bring that animosity and that distaste yeah. to the patient care, and the patients feel it. They know. Yeah. They're savvy. They're smart. They know. Um, you're not a good colleague. You're not really a great doc. So I didn't want to be that person. So I said, well, mm. that's okay. You know, life. You have again. You have to be open to the new path that life takes you. In terms of setting priorities for how you kind of know how you're going to choose to run your life, is there a way that you've chosen to set those, or they fl they're Changes flexible? Changes every day. Okay. Yeah. Changes every day. I mean, obviously, I mean, I shouldn't say obviously. For me, if, it, if push comes to shove, always kids first. Mm -hmm. Bill's a close second. Tied there with Bella, <laughs> with the dog. <laughs> but, um, like, for example, my... My daughter was sick last week. We had we were in the ER twice oh, last no. week. Speaking of not great and then great um, healthcare encounters. So yeah. first one was eh, not horrible. Nice people, zero resolution. Second place was really great people, resolution, lovely. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, oh yeah. So you know she. I felt like after the second ER visit, that was whatever your choice of higher powers name is. That was, for me, it was God's way of telling me, you know what, the kid needs to rest. Just, yeah. you know, she's not feeling well, let her lie low. She's a very high-strung, go-getter, motivated, just needs to rest kid. So, kept her home from school the next day. If there was a meeting I could do by phone, I did it by phone. If I couldn't do it by phone, I canceled it. Mm -hmm. And it was like a one of those days where boop, 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 boop. I felt bad for about 15 seconds because then I had to find a place to reschedule said things. <laughs> you know what that's like? So uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't feel that bad. <laughs> On that day when I canceled, I felt bad for 15 seconds, and then I channeled that are any of these things critical for the world's existence? No. Is she critical for my existence? Yes. Okay. Push. So when push comes to shove, always the kid. Um, mm. But some days I'm, if all is well, some days I'm much more present at work. Some days I'm much more present for home. I spend a number of evenings, probably Monday through Thursday, two or three hours a night on email because during the day there's no time. But my kids know on Fridays, um, I pick my daughter up from school at 2.15, and from that moment until Monday morning, they 
come first. If you know we do things together, we um, if they have plans and they are going somewhere and they're doing something and I have downtime at home, I may choose to get caught up, but I may not. I don't respond to hardly any emails on the on the on the weekends. When I send them out, it's with the understanding I won't hear back from you until Monday. So I've changed my mm -hmm. I just front load. I probably do a 50 to 60 hour work week, but I do most of it in four, four to four and a half days. Mm. It's like in any relationship, Bill mm -hmm. and I are hardly ever 50 50. Mm -hmm. We're usually 60 40. It just changes who's the 60 and who's the 40. Yeah. Um, and it may vary day to day, may vary week to week, may vary. Like right now, he's coaching basketball for the middle schools, which is so. Cute. <laughs> He's so serious about it. <laughs> Hates to lose. They're, they're 13. Like. Set the bar low. But anyway. Um, but, you know, usually when it's not basketball season, he's home at 3 o'clock. He loads and unloads a dishwasher. He does the grocery shopping. He does all the cooking, which always. He does the cooking and then does the dishes. And, like, that's his thing. And then everything else is mine. But you know what, though? If I don't have to wash a dish, grocery shop, or cook, I am good. I'll do all the cleaning. Sounds I'll do amazing. the laundry. <laughs> I'll pay the bills. I'll do the appointments. Not a problem because that, I the other part, I don't like. Mm. So he hates laundry. I think he sabotages it on purpose. He shrunk <laughs> two cashmere sweaters on purpose. I know he did. I know he did. Fine. Never touch the laundry again. Um, but again, we, we have our strengths and we mm -hmm. have our things, and uh, we back each other up with the kids because mm. they will try to split you. So we, we so we back <laughs> each other up. Uh, so it works. It just works. Yeah. At this stage for your career in life, do you have a piece of advice for a medical student? I, it's so like when I went to med school, it's very different from yeah. when. You guys are in med school now. Yeah. It's um, We were, so speaking of not multitasking, we were in class, we were in lecture, um, 8 to 12, 1 to 5, Monday through Friday. There was no capstone. There was no scholarship unless you, unless you, um, oh yeah, I was, I was, and I was a lecture per, I, I was a lecture hall person. We didn't have recorded lectures back in the Stone Age. <laughs> um, our school didn't even have a note service. We just had people who took notes, like the class ahead of us would hand down notes to someone, like a little sib type of relationship sometimes, sometimes not, or we would kind of cover for each other. We would share notes if somebody missed lecture, we would kind of share with each other, but mm -hmm. I liked to be there. So I was uh, um, 8 to 12, and then the gym from 12 to 1, and then 1 to 5 in lecture. Okay. And then in the winter, I played hockey either at 6 in the morning or oh. 10 at night. So we were very unidirectional. Yeah. So um, you got you have to multitask or think about multiple balls in the air much more than we do. Single tasking. Single tasking. Um, mm. Being easy on yourself. Um, opening up to friendships and relationships and um, not siloing yourself. And I would say. And I think Bruce Kevin gives this advice as well. Friday night and Saturday are yours. Mm -hmm. I skied every Saturday in med school. 
well, when there was snow on the ground, if it was no snow on the ground, I was hiking. Yeah. Saturday was my day. Mm. Even back then, Sunday was the library. Um, depending on the forecast, if there was good powder on a Sunday, I would do homework on Saturday and ski on Sunday, but that that weekend day, unless it was the weekend before exam week, right. then I would take a day to myself to just breathe. Mm. But I think connections, you know, schedule breathing time, mm. try to unitask if you can. Um, Oh, there's so many really important things and just being being easy on yourself obviously it's a serious thing to to tackle and it's a huge commitment but people get a little yeah like it's the only thing yeah it's not that's true specifically um to women any like young women in medicine don't undervalue yourself okay. i undervalued myself i did not negotiate well mm. Um, money is not the only negotiation piece. I actually went to a really good conference on women in, women in leadership and medicine okay. um, a few weeks ago, and an amazing talk on negotiating. Mm. Um, and I'm going to ask that person to come to net or to speak. But um, to everybody, not just to the women in the class, I mean to everybody. Um, but she was pretty fierce. And she was, you know, just practical ways to approach negotiation, verbiage, but have don't undervalue yourself. I can't okay. say that enough. Okay. Have women mentors um, and or just inspiring women play a role in how you have seen your mm -hmm. career change? I have fabulous women friends. Um, I shouldn't say, I have a GI friend who, I, if I could be her, I would be her. Like, she's the per, I, you know, <laughs> I'm not worthy person. Um, I lost touch with her. We. I feel like your timing is amazing, so we just reconnected and we're going to probably nice. go out for um, a coffee or a glass of wine in early January. But nice. um, but we've discussed this. It's because we're all so busy with the juggle mm -hmm. that we're, and um, medicine schedules tend to be the most onerous schedules. It's difficult for us to especially to find time. Yeah. to connect because we're all doing the same thing. Like Dr. Rothfeld and I are, are friends out, outside of school and for us to try to find a night when one of us doesn't have a child or a family obligation um, and we're both free and it's not date night yeah. and so-and-so is not post-call. You know, it's hard, it's really hard for us to do that so we tend to do lunch here a lot mm -hmm. together just mm -hmm. to find that time. But even then, finding lunch. Yeah. It's hard. It's true. So it's not that there are not incredible women role models out there. It's just um, growing up. Also, my like your time in medicine. There's more women that are visible. Yeah. I did not have many, if any, visible women when I was in training. There was a mm -hmm. lot of men who mm -hmm. were visible. Yeah. And uh, no women in leadership at my medical school at the time. Yeah. So just a different time. But I've had incredible supporters who were men along the way, and friends who who are women who have been very supportive. Um, I'm a in a group of moms, working moms, mostly moms who work, some who don't. Who, you know, I, you know, if I'm home on a Friday and my neighbor's at work, she'll call me and say, "Can you let my dog out?" 
I forgot, or you know, the school just called, Trevor needs to go home, he's sick, can you pick him up? No problem. And she's helped to carry me at times. And nice. so I have friends who just, you know, we do that for each other so that we can all maintain our, our sanity just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So I think yes. that, that network, whether it's a physician network or yeah. not, but having that women network, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. You know, I love it. I love, I didn't think I would love being in an in a academic world so much. It's awesome. I mean, pros and cons to everything. If you don't do what you love, what's the point? Thank you so much, Dr. Marquis, for coming to share your thoughts and your stories here at Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. It was such a fun time having this episode with you, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it just as much. I have to disclose to the listeners out there that Dr. Tracy Markey Eidman is the power that helps Essential Wisdom continue forward. She is my mentor on this project and just a dear mentor in my life. So I'm so excited that we were able to share this conversation with all of you. Thank you for coming back again to listen to Essential Wisdom. I hope you will choose to tune in again later this week on Thursday for another episode. We're nearing the end of our season and it's just really coming to a great fulfillment. So thank you again for tuning in. Please come back next week week and have a good week, everyone.